Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And good morning, uh, Nandimukhi, Hare Krishna. So we are reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, and Prahlad pacifies Lord Nishingadev with prayers. And this is, um, we did last verse 44, so we're going up to 46. Wait, is that right? No, yes. <laughs> so, one second. Canto 7, chapter 9, verse 45. Well, here's one of those, those heavy verses uh, from Fralad Maharaj. Sex life is compared to the rubbing of two hands to relieve an itch. Grihamedis, so-called grihastas, who have no spiritual knowledge, think that this itching is the greatest platform of happiness, although actually it is a source of distress. The creepinas, the fools who are just the opposite of pramanas, are not satisfied by repeated sensuous enjoyment. Those who are dhira, however, who are sober and who tolerate this itching, are not subject to the sufferings of fools and rascals. Remember, this is a young boy speaking this philosophy. O Supreme Personality of Godhead, there are ten prescribed methods on the path of liberation. To remain silent, not to speak to anyone, uh, that's called the mona prata. To observe vows, to amass all kinds of Vedic knowledge, to undergo austerities, to study the Vedas and other Vedic literatures, to execute the duties of Varnashrama Dharma, to explain the scriptures, the Shastras, to stay in a solitary place, to chant mantras silently, and to be absorbed in trance. These different methods for liberation are generally only a professional practice and means of livelihood for those who have not conquered their senses. Because such persons are falsely proud, these procedures may not be successful. So, um, Prabhupada's purport, he says, the real purpose of human life is to attain liberation from material entanglement. Such liberation may be achieved by many methods. And then he quotes something from the sixth canto, Tapasa Brahmacharyena, Samena Cha, Tamena Cha. By all, uh, by all of them, more or less, I'm sorry, but all of them more or less depend on tapasya, austerity, which begins with celibacy. One who is not a devotee must speak, uh, this is later on, um, one who is not a devotee may, must speak nonsensically because he does not have the power to speak about the glories of Krishna. Thus, whatever he says is influenced by the illusory energy and is compared to the croaking of a frog. Um, I, I often uh, go for a walk. Um, and then Henry and I go for walks uh, uh, along the towpath uh, at um, Carter Rock, which is a very beautiful area in uh, in the in the Maryland, D.C. area. I think it's, is it still in Maryland? I think it's still in Maryland by like half a mile or something, right, Henry? Yeah. And so um, we, we often walk uh, on the actual uh, Billy Go Trail. So there are not too many frogs, but when you go on the towpath, there's a lot of frogs. And, and sometimes they're really croaking up the storm. Um, but at least in India, uh, the idea of a croaking frog, it's, 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 uh, it calls the, the snakes nearby to eat them and it gives the snakes uh oh you know a, a good direction so the croaking which you know of course doesn't sound uh whatever if you like the croaking or don't like the sound of the croaking but it actually is in is uh bringing death closer to those frogs um here we don't have so many i've only run into one snake um 
on the Billy Goat Trail, and that snake didn't look big enough to harm a flea, what to speak of a frog. <laughs> but that's the idea here. Um, one who speaks about the glories of the Lord, however, has no need to be silent. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu recommends, Kirtaniya Sadahari, one should go on chanting the glories of the, uh, of the Lord 24 hours a day. There is no question of mona or silence. The ten processes for liberation or improvement on the path of liberation are not meant for devotees. Kevala, Kevalaya, Bhaktya. One, if one simply engages in devotional service of the Lord, all ten methods of liberation are automatically observed. So let's look at this a little bit. So Mona brought uh, the, the vow to remain silent. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I brought this up so many times. It's kind of like that Hegel presentation of uh, a thesis, antithesis, synthesis, right? So the thesis is, yes, talk about whatever you want to talk about. And then people who are spiritually minded say, oh, that's just, uh, in, Sans- in Sanskrit or is it Bengali, Gramya Kata, or just kind of, you know, uh, or as we would call Gramya Kata in more recent times was called, uh, you know, what you talk around the water cooler, right? You know, gossip and this and that. So then somebody says, no, no, to be spiritual, you should be silent, right? You should be silent. And, and that is, um, interesting. I remember, uh, one time when I was in college, we, uh, I went to the University of Michigan and we did a New England literature program. We went up to New England. Um, and studied the authors, uh, Emerson, Thoreau, Dickinson, Frost, et cetera. And so we would, do, we would sometimes during that month, um, people who wanted to could go off for two days into the f- woods. They'd have, you know, a tent and a sleeping bag and enough food, but no one to talk to. And I remember at that time I was studying the Gita, but wasn't a fully practicing Krishna consciousness. I thought this is pretty spiritual. It's pretty cool. Right. But here we're hearing that. So that's the antithesis, the, the, the rejection of the uh, thesis of, you know, talking is good. Um, but then the synthesis of the two is talking, but talking about things that actually matter and not, you know, just, um, you know, gossip, et cetera. So that, that's, uh, so there's these different things that, uh, that are mentioned here that are considered part of the traditional Vedic process, not necessarily for devotees, you know, because bhakti is above the rituals of the Vedas. Um, <clears throat> so that's what's described in the verse and also in parts of the purport. Um, like tapasya, austerity, brahmacharyena, uh, celibacy, samenacha, uh, control mind, control senses, but these um, become automatic to one who is absorbed in developing their love for God, their love for Krishna. One who's devor- absorbed in bhakti, the uh, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janayat Yasu Vairagyam Gyanam Chayada Hoytukam, that uh, these things come automatically uh, without much endeavor to someone who's actually developing uh, their love, their bhakti. So that's, uh, that's why I highlighted this point here. And that's the point that, um, that Prahlad is making, even though his last verse was about, you know, the, uh, uh, about sex here in this verse, he's saying, well, the way to actually um, naturally have desires above the sensual 
is to be in, uh, well, in love for the Supreme. So questions, comments, thoughts on this verse or the one before it? Well, this verse was about sex, too, because actually the male frogs reason that croak is to attract mates. Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so, so the analogy uh, uh, expands. Yeah, it, well, it holds, because I don't agree with Prabhupada. I don't have any problem with frogs croaking. Or maybe Indians think that I, I think it's a fine noise, but but it is done just for animal. Well, he was he wasn't necessarily. Uh, I don't think he was commenting so much on the sound as he was on uh, the attracting of snakes. Yeah, that's why they say it's foolish. They're being foolish. Yeah, but it's the only way they have. They don't have Tinder, you know. They that's, <laughs> that's the only way they can find mates. <laughs> Yeah, so you take, and they're probably not going to be practicing celibacy really soon. <laughs> so they're in a catch twenty two, huh? And one could argue that uh, that uh, you know Tinder is is a similar catch twenty two. <laughs> one could argue, although I think we heard that I won't mention the name, but one of the people on this uh, on our. Uh, Call today said that they met their uh, their spouse um, through an app, I believe. <laughs> uh, other other questions or comments? Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Uh, yes, actually, go Prabhu. Uh, I my 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 small clarification on this. He's like three years old, um, and how can he speak? Um, no, five, five or six. Yeah, five or six, and then like. Uh, um, is it through the knowledge he is speaking to, through the Narada? Uh, basically, Narada had given this information, or uh, uh, the Lord touches him in the conch shell because of that? Yes, because of that. Yes, but even, Yosh, uh, first of all, we're going to hear soon, right, that he was like a Nitya Siddha devotee, right? Eternally liberated. Um, so it just goes to show that it's actually a uh, one of the real and power, powerful points in the Bhagavatam that there's no material um, impediment to devotion, to bhakti. So it can manifest in a child. It can um, manifest in someone who's born in a terrible family. He was born in the worst family possible, practically speaking. Um, it, it can appear, it, it doesn't depend on gender. We have the great, the wonderful prayers of uh, Kunti Devi, Queen Kunti. It, uh, and even if Krishna wants, it doesn't have to depend on species, right? Where we, uh, where we hear, um, you know, Gajendra making great prayers and things like that. So that, it's the independent nature of bhakti that it can uh, manifest. So yes, you're right. The Lord Shingadev had touched Kanshal to his head. And, but even prior to that, um, he, 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 he had been blessed because he was, you know, speaking to his, um, schoolmates. But at the same time, you see that, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know where the, the actual age of five comes. That's what I've heard. Um, but we see that what they're learning in school, um, was already about diplomacy. Uh, you know, art dhamma, art kama moksha. We, right? We see that in um, what uh, Sunda, Sandra, and Amarka were trying to teach them. 
right? Um, the, you know, the uh, Rajniti, it's called, right? Because he was, they were Chatriyas, they were kings. So the Raj means king and Niti means diplomacy. So he was learning diplomacy at that age. So he also seems that he can speak great philosophy. So do you mean when your children were five, they weren't uh, quoting the Bhagavatam to you? No, not really. <laughs> I remember in Vrindavan, this is how my, um, an example of my bad parenting. <laughs> my wife's a much better parent, parent than I was. I saw, I told, I taught Gopinath this one verse, uh, Tavakatam Ritam Tapta Jivanam, uh, verse by Srimati Radharani. Um, and I used to like put him on display, you know, when a sannyasi walked by, I'd say, Gopinath, what's that verse? <laughs> and that probably wasn't the best kind of parenting to try to, uh, do that, but, uh, it happens so. some uh, times to times, like, you know, they'll be correcting. That's there, but not with the quoting verses, though. Right, <laughs> yes. No, our children, as they get older, they, they're great at correcting their parents, especially when they see us um, being a bit of a hypocrite. <laughs> they're very good at it. <laughs> Thank you for that question, Chuck. Anything else? Okay, then let us carry on. We're going up to verse 49. Hmm. So 47. By authorized Vedic knowledge, one can see that the forms of cause and effect in the cosmic manifestation belong to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for the cosmic manifestation is his energy. Both cause and effect are nothing but the energies of the Lord. Therefore, O oh my Lord, just as a wise man, by considering cause and effect, can see how fire pervades wood, those engaged in devotional service understand how you are both the cause and the effect. Okay. So let us carry on. Oh, Supreme Lord, you are actually the heir. So he, this is explaining the previous verse about the cause and effect. So here, he's saying Krishna creates the air, the earth, fire, sky, and water. That's from the um, seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, verse number four, I believe it is. Bumir apo nalo vayu kamano buddhir evicha. You are the object's of sense perception. So in other words, the eye, what the eye sees, it perceives, what the nose smells, like that. The life airs. You're also the creator of the five senses, ears, eyes, nose, etc. The mind, the consciousness, and false ego. Indeed, you are everything subtle and gross. The material elements and anything expressed either by words or by the mind are nothing but you. So Krishna is everything and he is a separate person at the same time. And this is a chintya beta, a beta tattva. This is very, very, very deep philosophy. Inconceivably, simultaneously, one and different. So Krishna creates everything, and at the same time, he is a separate, individual, supreme person. And then the verse that we're going to discuss a little bit, neither the three modes of material nature Sattva Guna, Rajaguna, and Tamaguna. Nor are the predominating deities controlling these three modes, right? Um, nor are the five gross elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, nor are the mind, nor are the demigods, nor are the human beings can understand your lordship, for they are all subjected to birth and annihilation. 
Considering this, the spiritually advanced have taken to bhakti, to devotional service. Such wise men hardly bother with Vedic study. Instead, they engage themselves in practical devotional service. So they, they go right to the, the goal of Vedic study, studying the Gita, the Bhagavatam, instead of the Vedic literature that um, gives us cool, let's just say, cool ways to enjoy this world or reject this world. But the bhakti literature goes, is, so when we say, don't bother about Vedic study, it's specifically talking about the Vedic parts that are about material enjoyment or rejecting material enjoyment, not about the bhakti literature. Okay, in the purport. As stated in several places, bhaktiyamam abhijanati. Only by devotional service can the Supreme Lord be understood. The intelligent person, the devotee, does not bother much with the practices mentioned in, in text 46. That's what, remember we studied that? Mona, Brata, silence, uh, austerity, uh, etc. After understanding the Supreme Lord through devotional service, such devotees are no longer interested in studies of the Vedas. Indeed, this is confirmed in the Vedas also. So, you know, there's very, there's a lot of rituals in, in any religion, in any spiritual path. And what this is saying partially is that if you get absorbed in the rituals and forget the essence, then you're kind of not seeing the, uh, the forest from the trees, right? So, so a person who does see the, uh, the essence, they will, they will likely perform some of the rituals, but in a, in a devotional consciousness. Or they might say it's unnecessary. It, it depends on the specific ritual. But, um, this is, uh, this is an important point that, you know, because some people can think, Oh, I'm doing great. I'm such a spiritual person. I'm following all these rituals and they're kind of doing it mindlessly or just absorbed in the details of the ritual without, you know, under, without remembering why we're doing it and for what purpose, uh, things are being done. And that purpose is, is to develop love, to develop bhakti. Um, the Vedas say, Kim Artha Vayam Ayeshimahe, Kim Artha Vayam Bakshaman Mahe. What is the use of studying so many Vedic literatures? What is the use of explaining them in different ways? Vayam Bakshamahe. No one needs to study any more Vedic literatures, nor does anyone need to describe to describe them by philosophical speculation. Bhagavad Gita says. That when one understands the supreme personality of God by executing devotional service, one ceases the practice of studying the Vedic literature. Again, remember what kind of Vedic literature we're talking about. Elsewhere it is said, uh, this is a very interesting verse, Aradito yadi kim. If one can understand the supreme personality of God and engage in his service, there is no more need for severe austerities, penances, and so on. However, if after performing severe austerities and penances. One does not understand the supreme personality of God and such practices are useless. So this is a, a beautiful verse. It's um, the full thing says, if one is worshiping Krishna, what is the use of extra austerities? And if one is not worshiping Krishna, what is the use of such austerities? <laughs> if one can understand that Krishna is all pervading within and without, what is the need of performing austerities? And if one cannot understand what is the need of performing austerities, it's one of my favorite verses, and then I don't have to perform, do so many austerities. 
Um, this is also explained in chapter 2, verse 45 and 46 of the Gita. Let me uh, find those two. Whoops. Hate when that happens. I just, uh, my, remember this happens sometimes, my Veda base crashes. So one second. And I will bring it back to life, hopefully. Oops. Give me a second here. Are you looking for that, Prabhu? Could you bear a comment? <clears throat> yes. I was just looking at the verse. It's very interesting here. Maybe the first time I've noticed um, in the Bhagavatam that there's a mix, actually. Prahlad is including the three modes of nature and the five gross elements. And then he, at some point, switches over to the demigods, the human beings. And he's referring, he says, none of these can understand your lordship. I never thought of the material nature as being something that could understand or try to understand or the gross elements. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you'd have to look at the Sanskrit to see if that's exactly what it, uh, is being said here or if it's being referring primarily to the demigods and the human beings. Hmm. Um, because generally we understand that the most material nature are uh, inert matter. But yeah, they, they have power. Yeah. So just looking at 245, the Vedas deal mainly with the subject of the three modes of material nature. O Arjuna, become transcendental to these three modes. Be free from all dualities and from all anxieties for gain and safety and be established in the self. And then the next verse, which is very beautiful. All purposes served by a small well can at once be served by a great reservoir of water. Similarly, all the purposes of the Vedas can be served by one who knows the purpose behind them. And the, the example that's, the example is if you ever lived in a village in India, at least some villages, um, or different parts of the world, uh, there's sometimes different wells will be for different purposes. One for fresh water, one for cleaning utensils, um, one for washing clothes, etc. But all those activities can be done if there's a, you know, especially a fresh, clean river flowing in that area. So similarly, that's the point. Uh, similarly, well, the purpose of the Vedas can be served when we understand the purpose behind them, the ultimate purpose being uh, Krishna. So those verses are actually quite quite significant in the Gita. When they, when they um, talk about austerities and penances, of course, probably just because from a younger age I was reading about you know, Buddhism, but the first thing that comes in my mind is, you know, Siddhartha Gautama when he was practically torturing himself through starvation and things like that. I mean, obviously that's an extreme form, but is that effectively what they're Yeah, yeah, things about? like that. Uh, it would be, um, you know, going uh, neck, neck high in a river in uh, January, Mm-hmm. or you know things of that nature yes and and you know you do um dean you do get some realizations from this you know um i think even uh you know i would assume that you being uh, in the military you know you i guess you were in boot camp at some point 
Yeah, and then and then something's tougher than boot camp. Right, right. And, and, and my understanding is, you know, they push your body, and you you find that you can push yourself more than, you know, eating potato chips in front of a TV set. <laughs> you actually can perform some austerities. And uh, I mean, I even remember being trying out for the swim team, and how hard they pushed us to swim. And and I couldn't I couldn't believe that after a week or two, um, you know. I could do things that I couldn't believe in. I, I won't embarrass him, but there's another person on this call I know who's up to 90 push-ups at, at one sitting. Uh, and and uh, he was telling me that he could barely do five, you know, a year ago or whatever it was. So th- you do get some realization about um, how much we kind of pamper our body sometimes and and are very much creatures of comfort where uh, we're performing some austerities, one can kind of understand that I'm not this body. I'm, um, that, that can also be there. And, and just denying the urge, just like you were talking about Buddhism. So, you know, there's, uh, yep, how do, I always pronounce this not so great, but Vipassana, Vyasana, Vipassana. Uh, it's usually a seven to 10 day um, Mona Vrata. You don't speak anything and you sit for hours and hours and hours in meditation. And one of the things you learn is that the, the urges of the mind and the senses don't have to, you know, cause one of the things, like, for example, your nose starts getting really itchy and you're not allowed to itch it. And you see, gosh, it actually goes away after 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever, right? Or the need to eat, you know, three solid meals a day right up to the neck, you know, um, and you can, you can actually, survive quite well uh, on less than that so there's some there's some things that one can do to give some realization that i i'm not this body and and i don't have to be such a slave to the um urges of the body so that that can be helpful in spiritual in spiritual life the problem is that austerities also can harden the heart right uh you know you get kind of tough and we have to have a soft heart when we're approaching Krishna. So devotees also perform austerities, but they do it in a in a mood of um, uh, serving Krishna, just like a kadasi. So some people, some devotees, that you know, they uh, they the normal thing is you know fast from grains and beans. Some people even do near jalakadasi, not even taking water every fortnight, right? Every two weeks. Um, but as Prabhupada mentions, the key to a codice, if you're going to do that, is to spend more time chanting or hearing about Krishna. Um, it, so it's not exactly the, the fasting helps, but also, if you ever notice, it takes time to eat, right? So the, t- the extra time that you have. But he would also, Prabhupada also said that if you're fasting, but all you're doing is thinking about food nonstop, then, you know, eat something and get on with your, your life. <laughs> You know, because, but um, so does that help at all? That makes sense, Dean. Yes, thank you. Okay. But generally speaking, for devotees who have taken initiation, the vows of uh, no sex outside of marriage, uh, no meat eat, eating, uh, no eating of meat, fish, or eggs, no gambling, and no intoxication is uh, sufficient austerities. Uh, let's see, either, either Ananda Rupa or Jiva Tapra Prabhu put in the comment 
Uh, yes, this verse, thank you, from um, uh, about uh, utilizing things in Krishna's service. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch that. You put that in 13 minutes ago. All right, so we carry on then. Uh, there was one other thing I think I wanted to mention. Where is it? Oh, yes. Um, right, on, right on topic, actually. So in, in a very real sense, the, and maybe I mentioned this last week, the greatest austerity is to give up the false ego, the, the false identification that we have with, with this body, with, with our mind, with our, um, with, you know, all the different upadis, all the different designations that are temporary, you know, um, uh, being from, you know, this, following this ism or that ism or being of this country or this sports fan or things like that. Those are false ego in the sense that they're temporary and they don't, uh, you know, um, go beyond this, this body. So the very premise of bhakti is that we have to be happy that there's something greater than us. And the false ego puts us in the center and our likes and dislikes in the center of existence. But the very premise of bhakti is um, that there's someone greater than me and that person is to be loved and served. So that's actually, that is the ultimate austerity for a devotee is to change their ego um, from the false one to a real one, which is uh, uh, Krishna's eternal servant, Krishna's eternal lover. And that is really tough. It's it's harder than your boot camp or even what you said you, you went through that was harder than boot camp, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which I can't imagine, which I wouldn't want to do, especially at my age. But uh, but giving up the, uh, the false identification, is, it goes very, very deep into the unconscious self. Hmm. Okay. Uh, any words of wisdom from Nanimuki, Andy, Ananda Rupa, Jivatattva, Rudas, anyone? Shushil, David, Mon, Shardia, Lee, anyone? Okay. We will carry on then. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Oh, yes, Nanimuki. I think I'm thinking about the beginning verse that we covered today. Just in relation to what, what you have just uh, talked about, the greatest austerity. And in the beginning verse, it is mentioned that people tend to seek happiness by scratching each. Mm-hmm. And just looking at the current society, it's not, it's not just scratching and each, it's scratching is create and it each each and then scratch it to be happy. Yeah, and this is uh, one of the challenges. You know, I was uh, reading um, that it was uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew who really started uh, in America modern day um, PR and advertising and that prior to him, although there, you know, there were luxury um, um, 
what do they call it? Brands, you know, before Tiffany was, you know, and things like that existed before. But most people just, you know, bought things according to their needs and not so much their wants. But uh, I forget this gentleman's name, but um, he created this whole thing, which you see is, you know, is taken off like crazy um, in advertising to create desires and, and wants in us that general, often don't match our, our needs. Was that Vablin? What's that, Andy? Was that Vablin? Um, you could probably Google it if you're... Uh, they have a thing called a Vablin good, and you want it just because it's considered very good to have and very expensive. Yeah, yeah. If and it was less expensive, you wouldn't want it so much. <laughs> right, So, and you see most... Some advertisements, I guess, they do appeal to the quality of the product, but often they appeal to our emotions or, or, or by, or they're, or both, you know? Um, and, and, and so, yes, um, it's a, it's a, it's a nice critique of, uh, society, uh, over, well, I guess at least the past almost hundred years now, um, where image is, is creating the, the need to create an image uh, instead of just trying to, you know, get by in life, which is what people maybe did before. Although I'm not saying that people weren't concerned about, I don't know if uh, keeping up with the Joneses or the Agarwals or the Smiths or whatever, you know, it only came out in the last hundred years. I would assume that it, in different ways it was there in the past, but you're right that it's, it's, um, it's come to quite a uh, high level today. Okay, so let us um, carry on. I think we're just going up to the next verse, actually. <laughs> 50, right? Wasn't that? Yes. Therefore, O Supreme Personality of God, the best of all persons to whom prayers are offered, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you because without rendering six kinds of devotional service unto you, offering prayers, dedicating all the results of activities, worshiping you, working on your behalf, always remembering your lotus feet and hearing about your glories, who can achieve that which is meant for the Paramahansas? And so again, Prabhupada is just emphasizing bhakti and the purport. One cannot understand Krishna simply by studying the Supreme Personality of God, simply by studying the Vedas and offering prayers. Only by the grace of the Supreme Lord can one understand him. The process for understanding the Lord, therefore, is bhakti. Without bhakti, Simply following the Vedic injunctions to understand the absolute truth will not be helpful at all. The process of bhakti is understood by the Paramahansa, one who has accepted the essence of everything. The results of bhakti are reserved for such a Paramahansa, and this stage cannot be attained by any Vedic process other than devotional service. Other processes such as jnana and yoga can be successful only when mixed with bhakti. When we speak of jnana yoga, karma yoga, and dhyana yoga, the word yoga indicates bhakti. Now that's, that is quite a statement that only a bhakta could make, <laughs> right? Bhakti yoga or buddhi yoga executed with intelligence and full knowledge is the only successful method for going back home, back to Godhead. So here Prabhupada is, you know, oh, the last sentence. If one wants to be liberated from the pangs of material existence, he should take to devotional service for quick attainment of this goal. So I just thought I'd highlight that it's such a purport about bhakti. Prabhupada was so fixed 
in bhakti. So we're going to read the remainder of these verses uh, in this chapter. The great Saint Narada said, Thus Lord Nisingadeva was pacified by the devotee Prahlad Maharaj with prayers offered for from the transcendental platform. The Lord gave up his anger and hearing very uh, and being very kind to Prahlad, who was offering prostrated obeisances, he spoke as follows. The Supreme Personality of God had said, My dear Prahlad, most gentle one, best of the family of Asuras, all good fortune unto you. I am very pleased with you. It is my pastime to fulfill the desires of all living beings, and therefore you may ask from me any benediction that you desire to be fulfilled. My dear Prahlad, may you live a long time. One cannot appreciate or understand me without pleasing me, but one who has seen or pleased me has nothing more for which to lament for his own satisfaction. My dear Prahlad, you are very fortunate. Please know for me that those who are very wise and highly elevated try to please me in all different modes of, of mellows. But I am only, oops, that I am the only person who can fulfill all the desires of everyone. Narada Muni said, Prahlad Maharaj was the best person in the family of Asuras who always aspire for material happiness. Nonetheless, although allured by the Supreme Personality of God who offered him all benedictions for material happiness, because of his unalloyed Krishna consciousness, he did not want to take any material benefit for sense gratification. So that's the key point here. Lord Nishinga is saying, listen, I'm very pleased with you. You take from me whatever you want. And we're going to hear in the next chapter the, uh, the reaction of a real devotee. I don't want anything material from you. This is not a, you know, this is not a business arrangement. You know, I scratch your back and you scratch mine. I just want to have a relationship with you. That's basically what Pilat is going to say. Okay, so shall we go on to the last? Yes. Um, it occurs that the, the Lord saying this, um, it's the same thing that any um, superior authority or demigod would say uh, to uh, someone uh, who pleased him. Okay, you please me. Here's a benedict. Any choose any benediction you like. Um, so the, the supreme lord is, uh, in that sense, acting like a demigod, and and of course he's setting up. Prahlad's reaction? Well, uh, yes and no. I agree. And it is different because Krishna is a big He's independent. Whereas the demigods, basically, they're obliged. If you scratch their back, they have to scratch yours. <laughs> so, so it's, um, it's, it's a little, it's a little different in that sense. Krishna can, or, you know, it, this is mentioned in the, um, fifth or sixth chapter of the first canto. Because when you're dealing with a person like Krishna, um, he wants to give benedictions to his devotees, but he's not obliged. He, he, you know, he may withhold them for some time to, to bring us closer to him. But it's this, it's, it's, uh, it's not a, it's different because it's not a business relationship, so to speak. And I'm using business and, you know, the I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So that, so I agree with you. It's It sounds similar, but there are some differences because of Krishna being fully independent. Whereas the demigods are not fully independent, they have to follow Krishna's rule, laws. Well, in, in, a, in, a, in a backwards way, that was 
kind of my point. You expressed yeah. it much better than I did. <laughs> no, thank you for bringing it up, Prabhu. Okay, so let us, we're going up to verse 3 of chapter 10. The saint Nardamuni continued, Although Prahlad Maharaj was only a boy, when he heard the benedictions offered to Lord Nishingadev, he considered them impediments on the path of devotional service. Thus he smiled very mildly and spoke as follows. Prahlad Maharaj said, My dear Lord, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, because I was born in an atheistic family, I am naturally attached to material enjoyment. Therefore, kindly do not tempt me with these illusions. I am very much afraid of material conditions, and I desire to be liberated from materialistic life. It is for this reason that I have taken shelter at your lotus feet. O oh, my worshipful Lord, because of the seed of lusty desires, which is the root cause of material existence, is within the core of everyone's heart, you have sent me to this material world to exhibit the symptoms of a pure devotee. So here's where Prabhupada in the purport calls Prahlad a nitya siddha, eternally liberated person. And he says that in spite of coming to this material world, the nitya siddha devotee is never attracted to by the allurements of material enjoyment. So a little bit about this point about uh, the different siddhas, in case you're not familiar. So um, this is a purport to a song that Prabhupada sang. Gorangera Sangha Gane Nitya Siddha Boli Mane. I'm not a good singer, and especially in Bengali. Uh, anyone who has understood the associates of Lord Chaitanya, they are not ordinary conditioned souls. They are liberated souls. Nitya Siddha Boli Mane. There are three kinds of devotees. The, this is devotees who reach Siddha or perfection. One is called Sadhana Siddha. Sadhana Siddha means by following the regulated principles of devotional service, if one becomes perfect, he's called sadhana siddha. So sadhana means practice. So doing the things that we, practicing our japa and our kirtan and reading and things like that, that's sadhana. Another devotee is called kripa siddha. Kripa siddha um, means even if he has not followed strictly all the regulated principles, still by the grace of the acharya, the guru, or by a, or by a devotee, um, or by Krishna, he is elevated to the perfectional stage. That is speciality. And another devotee is called nitya siddha. Nitya siddha means they were never contaminated. The sadhana siddha and kripa siddhas was contaminated by the material touch and by following regulated principles or by the mercy or grace of some devotee and acharya. They've, they've been elevated to the perfectional stage. But nitya siddha means they were never contaminated. They are ever liberated. So all the associates of Lord Chaitanya, just like Advaita Prabhu, Srivas, Gadadhar, Nityananda, they are Vishnu Tattva. They are all liberated. Not only they, the Goswamis, etc. There are many others. So they are ever liberated. So one who is, can understand that the associates of Lord Chaitanya are ever liberated uh, immediately becomes eligible to enter into the abode of Krishna. So these are the, uh, now one could say in a very real sense that even the sadhana siddha, the one who's attained perfection by practice, is, is also kripa siddha. You know, it is also depending on the mercy of the Lord. You know, this is, this was a, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying things a little bit, but this is one of the big, um, 
differences between Protestantism and Catholicism. Um, that Protestantism focused on the mercy of Jesus. And, um, and you know, you'll hear things like, it is not by works alone, right? You'll hear uh, say that. So, you know, you may be super pious and this and that, but the real thing is we're all sinners and only uh, by accepting Jesus are you saved. Whereas in Catholicism, there is, um, I mean, obviously there was other, Things that uh, economic things that um, that brought about the Protestant Revolution, uh, Re- Reformation, which we won't go into. We're not. It's not a history lesson. Um, but Catholicism has uh, a, a more of an understanding of, of of good works and kind of you could say, if we're translating things, of sadhana, of spiritual practices. Uh, and we say it's both. We say that. Uh, Every time Mother Yashoda tried to tie Krishna with ropes, uh, he would be two fingers, the width of two fingers uh, short. And those two fingers were called the devotee's endeavor and Krishna's mercy. So we, we say it's a combination that one, one can't just, you know, the other example of Kripa Siddha Prabhupada gives is a um, honorary degree. So, you know, famous people, usually it's famous people or someone who's done some kind of special activity, they'll get a honorary degree from a university. Some famous people have gotten three or four different PhDs. Um, but Prabhupada said, can you just sit around and wait to get an honorary degree? I mean, how, you know, it's kind of rare, right? So we have to show Krishna that we, we want to become a devotee and we have to do our sadhana, our practice. And not but, but and we uh, we need Krishna's help, Krishna's blessing. And of those two fingers, Krishna's help, Krishna's blessing is the more powerful of the two. But still, you need you need both. And that's uh, so. That's the relationship between sadhana and kripa. And then, of course, nitya siddha. They were you know always with Krishna. So, uh, Shakshi Gopal, we have your hand up. Thank you, Prabhu, for explaining about Nityasiddha. Can you speak a little louder? I'm having trouble hearing. Yeah. Thank you for speaking about Nityasiddha and other uh, Siddhas. Uh, my question is on the previous verse that um, uh, in I was just doing a little comparison with the Dhruva Maharaj and Prahalad Maharaj. In Dhruva Maharaj, he didn't ask the benediction, but he understood the heart and then he gave the benediction. And here... Prahalad Maharaj was not at all desired for any material things, but he gave some material uh, benediction. Do you have any information to speak about? Well, um, we, I don't know how if you, in the end, but uh, I've heard Burijan talk about how Prahalad Maharaj's Leela uh, in the seventh canto is the first time that we really see from the beginning pure devotional service. So Dhruva, of course, became a great devotee. Um, but at first he had all these, he had big material desires, right? He wanted a kingdom greater than his grandfather. Who was his grandfather? Anyone know? Shandu Yeah, so, so great. Yeah, exactly. So greater than them, <laughs> which is like, you know, the universe basically, <laughs> you know, or a planet, you know, have his own planet. So he had, you know, big desires and also, um, he, you know, he kind of, had it in at the beginning for for his brother, his stepbrother or half brother, um, 
but of course he became purified by later. But there is there is a difference. The starting point at least was different between the two. And I, I would assume, although I haven't read it, so I don't want to say absolutely that um, Druva was not well, considered a nityasiddha in the same way as Lot. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Prabhu, this is correct because, uh, you know, it's clearly given that as soon as Lord touched his conch on the forehead of Dhruva Maharaj, he was purified. Mm. And that's when he had the realization. And it's very strange that Lord touched the conch because Dhruva Maharaj had this desire to glorify the Lord through prayers. So mm. Lord's causelessness is visible where he got more than what he asked for. Mm. Okay. Um, let us uh, carry on then. Good. So we are going up to six. Is that right? Six. Yeah. Verse number six. <clears throat> so verse that was three. So verse four. Otherwise, oh my Lord, O supreme instructor of the entire world, you were so kind to your devotee that you could not induce him to do something unbeneficial for him. On the other hand, one who desires some material benefit in exchange for devotional service cannot be your pure devotee. Indeed, he is no better than a merchant who wants profit in exchange for service. A ser- verse 5. A servant who desires material profits from his master is certainly not a qualified servant or pure devotee. Similarly, a master who bestows benedictions upon his servant because of a desire to maintain a prestigious position as master is also not a pure master. Oh, my Lord, I am your unmotivated servant, and you are my eternal master. There is no need of our being anything other than master and servant. You are naturally my master. I am naturally your servant. We have no other relationship. So Prabhupada writes that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Chivera Swarupa Haya Krishnera Nityadas. Every living being is eternally a servant of Krishna. Krishna says in the Gita book, Dharam Yogatapasam Sarva Loka Maheshwaram. I am the proprietor of all planets, and I am the supreme enjoyer. This is the natural position of the Lord, and the natural position of the living being is to surrender unto him. If this relationship continues, then real happiness exists eternally between the master and servant. Unfortunately, when this eternal relationship is disturbed, the living entity wants to become separately happy and thinks that the master is his order supplier. You know, give me, give me, give me. Oh, Lord, won't you... Buy me a Mercedes-Benz, as Janice Joplin said. In this way, there cannot be happiness, nor should the master cater to the desires of the servant. If he does, he's not a real master. The real master commands, you must do this, and the real servant immediately does the order. Unless this relationship between the Lord and the subordinate living entity is established, there can be no real happiness. The living entity is ashraya always subordinate, and the supreme personality about it is Vishaya, the supreme objective, the goal of life. Okay, so let's um, discuss this a little bit. I would just like to point out that apparently uh, Janice Joplin preferred uh, psychedelic Porsches to um, Mercedes, assuming you're familiar with her car. I wasn't familiar with, I'm familiar with the lyrics. I wasn't familiar with the car. My friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends, is the next line. I work hard all this lifetime, no help from my friends. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? 
She very famously had this like psychedelically painted uh, Porsche, uh, like Austin Powers type. Um, <laughs> Way before Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> interesting interesting yeah well you know and i understood the the lyrics to that song were um kind of lampooning making fun of people who approach god for material things right you know but coming from the 60s rock generation it's, yeah, it's, yeah it's rather uh what's the word but you, you know what i'm saying and was was she the author of that song i don't know if she wrote it i don't know i don't know yeah yeah, yeah. But uh, it was uh, yes. I saw one of her last uh, concerts before she before she died. Actually, mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah, she had a pretty pretty rough life. It sounds like she had a very rough life. Yeah, yeah, very rough life. Yeah, um, yeah, and therefore she. Uh, I guess not that this should be a class on Janis Joplin, but uh, you know, her singing the blues had some impact on people because of you know, they could feel her pain, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, Ringo Starr said, got to pay your dues if you want to sing the blues. Mm-hmm. And you know it don't come easy. So similarly, uh, <laughs> I'm bringing it back to Krishna. Um, we, when we can speak from our realization, it has power. And it doesn't mean that, yes, of course, one is, is an advanced devotee, um, has a higher realization, and therefore when they speak, it has more potency. But when we speak from whatever level of realization we have, that helps us and can help others. Um, even if the realization is, you know, um, is not super, you're quoting Sanskrit all over the place and this and that, but just really what you've experienced as a devotee, and you tell someone else about your experience, Prabhupada said that that has a lot of shakti a lot of energy. So we don't have to kind of be someone who we're not. We don't have to, you know, uh, put on an air of holier than thou or anything, but rather be who we are and speak from our, uh, speak from our realizations. Yeah. And he said the same thing about journaling. He said, it's very healthy to journal every day. And uh, he said, even if it's two or four lines, but what you've realized about Krishna, so we know that in, in today's uh, modern world, uh, coaches and uh, mindfulness gurus and things talk a lot about journaling and how it can be very, you know, helpful. And Prabhupada spoke about it back in the late 60s and early 70s. And he, he himself kept a diary every day. I don't know if it was every day, but he kept a diary. Um, some of the famous ones are when he was on the ship coming to America. There's a diary of that. And also a diary of when he was in um, in the in Twenty Six Second Avenue in New York. Okay. Um, oh, so in this purport, um, so we have to understand this, you know, because it could sound like, "Well, I'm your master; you're you're the servant. Do what I say." But it's it's extremely um, loving, and therefore, this word ashraya and vishaya are. Um, they're very important concepts to understand. And um, let me see about my notes on this. So we, uh, and I spoke, I think we spoke about this previously, that we first determine 
what is reality, sambanda? What is, you know, what reality is that I'm a soul, I'm eternal. I have an eternal relationship with the Supreme. The material nature is um, uh, run by the three modes of material nature, uh, run by the three modes. And and Krishna creates the material world uh, through his um, dhinna prakriti, or his inferior energy. And so the reality of life is that I have a eternal relationship with God, with the Supreme, with Krishna, that can never be taken away. And that's always there, whether I acknowledge it or not. So that's called sambandha. And then acting in that relationship, acting in that reality, is called abhideya, or the performance of bhakti, of service to the Supreme. Uh, and then feeling that reality and having a relationship with reality, that's called prayojana, the prema, or love. Um, so ashraya and vishaya, I, I, again, this could be, um, Henry and I were just listening to a class of, that was touching upon this point. But um, we'll just cover it in brief. So Vishaya and Ashraya, I'm just reading from Prabhupada. There are two very significant words relating to the reciprocation between Krishna and his devotee. The devotee is called the Ashraya, and his beloved Krishna is Vishaya. Different ingredients are involved. So the, the Ashraya is the... Um, is the possessor of the love, and Vishaya is the um, the focus or the receiver of the love. Um, different ingredients are involved in the exchange of love between the Ashraya, the devotee, and Vishaya, Krishna, which are known as Vibhav, Anubhav, Satika, and Gyabhachari. Um, and these are different um, emotions that the devotee feels um, just to give you some idea, uh, Anubhav is, you know, one comes into the temple and they just naturally want to uh, pay obeisances. So they, they or, or they see Krishna, the great devotee sees Krishna and immediately prostrates himself before Krishna. Um, there's some thought process going in there, but Satyikabhav is when it's just totally spontaneous. Um, and there, there's, there's a whole, you know, books written about this that I'm covering in two minutes, so. Um, Vibhav is divided into two categories, Alambana and Udipana. Alambana may further be divided into Ashraya and Vishaya. The loving affairs of Radha and Krishna. In the loving affairs of Radha and Krishna, Radharani is the Ashraya feature, and Krishna is the Vishaya. The transcendental consciousness of the Lord tells him, I am Krishna, and I experience pleasure as the Vishaya. The pleasure enjoyed by Radharani, the Ashraya, is many times greater than the pleasure I feel. Therefore, to feel the pleasure of the Ashraya category, Lord Krishna appeared as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So the devotee is the one who gives the uh, service and love, and Krishna is the uh, reservoir or the, the uh, receiver of that in that loving relationship. And there's so much more to be explained about this. And we can take a course on the... Um, Nectar of Devotion to learn more about it. And I, I know I'm covering it in a cursory way, but I just wanted to bring up that um, Rupa Goswami has, one thing that has always been helpful for me is just to see the, the detail of the explanations of how love for Krishna develops. It's very, um, well, 
it's not exactly the right word, but it's very scientific or very detailed and, and just, you know, um, it's, 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 it's this balance. On one level, it's very detailed and you can study it with all these, you know, these Sanskrit words. And the other thing is you just experience it. <laughs> right. But these, these, the, the, um, breaking of it down into how it actually works helps us to develop the experience. But ultimately, Krishna consciousness is one of, um, uh, experience. One develops faith, one develops emotions by actually uh, experiencing Krishna's reciprocation. Okay. Uh, any questions, comments on that? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. I'm thinking there's a motivated relationship between spiritual master and the servant is is so pure. And for those um, who are entangled in a material in a materialistic way of exchange things, it is more like when when they are doing the, this exchange, it's more about looking at what the other people are given to the, uh, are given to them instead of the other people who is given the uh, the things to them. Um, I'm not sure I followed you. <laughs> Do you want to say that one more time? Sure. I mean, in a, in a materialistic way of exchange service, the focus is more on the thing rather than the person who give you the thing. Ah, uh, interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Um, I think I told you that story that one time, um, uh, Tamal Krishnamaraj and Buri John Prabhu were with Prabhupada in Mayapur. And the devotees on, uh, Tamal Krishnamaraj was representing the Radhadamadar distributors and they had, uh, um, they wanted to give, uh, Prabhupada, you know, some Guru Dakshina, some money, um, for, for constructing the temples that he was building in India. So they gave him some, some, you know, reasonable amount of, uh, money that they had collected, like 20 or $30,000. Prabhupada kind of looked at the, uh, looked at the check and just put it down. And then Burijan Prabhu, who had, um, started a, um, a vegan in those days, a vegan, uh, ladies hand, um, purse business, you know, uh, and, and he, and he could, Prabhupada, I guess, could tell that Tamal Krishna was maybe a little, a little proud, a little, like, look what I've done for you. And Prabhupada, Burijampu had started this business and he, he basically considered that Prabhupada was the owner of the business. So everything outside of, you know, just a little money for his maintenance, he, he gave, you know, all the profits, like, you know, $321.28, you know, it's like that kind of thing, that kind of check. And so Prabhupada got that and he was just started glorifying. Oh, this is so wonderful. This is so great. You know, it was one hundredth or whatever, one twentieth, whatever, uh, of the other one. But because he was looking at the person and the, the devotion, the mentality behind it, it was a very interesting lesson for a small Christian marsh. <laughs> so that, that's kind of supports what you were saying, Nani Muki. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.
So let us continue then. We are going up to 13. Is that right? Yeah, 13. Okay. Number seven. Oh, my Lord, best of the givers of benediction. If you at all want to bestow a desirable benediction upon me, then I pray from your Lordship that within the core of my heart, there be no material desires, no desire other than serving you. Oh, my Lord, because of lusty desires from the very beginning of one's birth, the functions of one's senses, mind, life, body, religion, patience, intelligence, shyness, opulence, strength, memory, and truthfulness are vanquished. Oh, my Lord, when a living being is able to give up all material desires in his mind, he becomes eligible, eligible to possess wealth and opulence like yours. O oh my Lord, full of six opulences, O oh Supreme Person, O oh Supreme Soul, killer of all miseries, O oh Supreme Person in the form of a wonderful lion and man, let me offer my respectful obeisances unto you. The Supreme Personality of God had said, My dear Pallad, a devotee like you never desires any kind of material opulences, either in this life or in the next. Nevertheless, <laughs> I order you to enjoy the opulences of the demons in this material world, acting as their king until the end of the duration of time, occupied by Manu. It does not matter that you are in the material world. You should always continuously hear the instructions and messages given by me and always be absorbed in thoughts of me, for I am the super soul existing in the core of everyone's heart. Therefore, give up fruit of activities and worship me. My dear Prahlad, while you are in this material world, you will exhaust all the reactions of pious activity by feeling happiness, and by acting piously, you will neutralize impious activity. Because of the powerful time factor, you will give up your body, but the glories of your activities will be sung in the upper planetary systems. And being fully freed from all bondage, you will return home back to Godhead. In the second paragraph of the purport, Prabhupada, right? Or, yeah, second. The word kusalena is very important. One should live in this material world very expertly. The material world is known as a world of duality because one sometimes has to act impiously and sometimes has to act piously. Although one does not want to act impiously, the world is so fashioned, this is kind of what Nandimuki was saying, that there's always danger. Padam, padam, yadi, padam. So how do you live in the material world very expertly? Um, there's so, again, this could be a five-hour conversation. But... Uh, some thoughts that cross my mind include not overreacting to things that do happen in our life, uh, understanding that material circumstances are going to be there and, and they're not always going to be to our liking, but in such situations, take them as an opportunity to take deeper shelter of Krishna rather than immediately thinking, I have to adjust this material circumstance. I have to change things in this way. I have to change things in that way. We may have to do that. But our first impetus should be, um, or to, to live in this world expertly, is to not get overly affected by the ups and downs of this world, to be more neutral. And in that sense, to really, really try to disassociate, or not disassociate, wrong word, to... Um, watch the the mind and what it wants to think of and control you know um 
I was just reading a book by Satyananda Swami. He says it's, it's, it is, uh, what is the word he uses? It, it's maybe, I don't know if this is, it's, it's a travesty that the instrument has controlled the, the person control owning the instrument. We, we are the soul, but our mind has taken over and our mind thinks of something and we just think, Oh, I have to think about that. Our mind all, all of a sudden thinks about, um, you know, my electric bill was higher than usual. And then we just think, oh, I have to think about that and worry about that right now. Even though I probably can't do anything about it right now during uh, the class on the Bhagavatam or, or whatever. And, and our mind becomes the, the manager of our life. And, and that's okay when the mind is acting as a friend, but it often doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, the mind sometimes really, it, it's, it, it's such a perversity. It enjoys being bewildered sometimes. It enjoys thinking about things that upset us. Whereas uh, I think one way to live in this world is to say, you know, actually I could choose what I want my mind to think about. I have that agency. And when it starts going down the rabbit hole of this or that, uh, I can say, no, you know, uh, that isn't, that may be important, but it's not the right time. I can't do anything about that right now. You know, where I'm driving a car and I'm worrying about, oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Whatever. Uh, um, and I think that's one part of living in this world expertly is to understand we are different than our mind and we don't have to be a constant servant of whatever it chooses to, to go to. And it goes hither and thither. And it, it, uh, it's even said that you, the yogi can, can travel at the speed of the mind. You know, you think of Hawaii and you're there. That's how fast the mind is. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's part of, of living in the material world expertly is understanding that I am not my mind and I can be the controller and the director of my mind. And if we're, the, this is the reality as, as hard as it may be to swallow that when we're unhappy because our mind is dwelling on something unhappy, we can decide not to think about that and to think about Krishna instead or even something more favorable. Again, that doesn't mean we don't have to deal sometimes with that, you know, higher electric bill or, you know, the fact that we're on the West Coast, we'd rather be on the East Coast, or all, all the different practicalities of life that we that we face. Mm. Um, but even then, you know, it's like that saying from Mark Twain that I've quoted before that so many terrible things have happened to me in my life. Most of them, luckily, most of them never took place. Um, because we, I don't know, not everyone is the same, but some people, you know, a lot of us are worriers and, and dwellers on, on the negative. And one can choose. One can say, okay, you know, all right, I, I'm going to, you know, read the Bhagavatam. I'm going to chant Hare Krishna. And later on, I noted that down. I am going to, you know, call Pepco or whatever and deal with this, uh, this, uh, this uh, electric bill. And then, but I'm not going to think about that now. My dear mind, why should I worry about it now? It doesn't do anything. But sometimes, you know, I, I, uh, it was, um, uh, what's his name? Eckhart, the power of now. I forget his first name. Um, and he said, he, he quotes some research that 83% of our thoughts are repetitive and useless. <laughs> So I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know how you get to 83 and not 81 or, you know, 75 or whatever, but you get the, you get the idea. 
And so I think that's part of living in the world expertly. Beyond that, um, generally trying to cultivate the mode of goodness, um, uh, control of the mind, control the senses, keeping things clean, keeping things neat, keeping our mind clean and, and neat, dealing with other people in a respectful way, showing sincere respect to other people that we meet, having compassion upon uh, those uh, uh, people and even animals, um, any living entity. These are, I think, ways to live in the world expertly, even as we are still uh, here. So any questions, comments on that? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Hare Krishna Nandarupa. So very nice uh, to revisit um, all the qualities you have mentioned we can aspire to develop. And uh, I was reflecting a little bit on, uh, there were times I used to think about how to, you know, when especially we study in Bhagavad Gita, especially chapter 16, you know, it talks a great deal on divine and demonic natures. And at a uh, high level, actually, when we think of our uh, real life, you know, uh, we, every moment seems like we are presented with choices. We have to make choices. Sometimes things are in control. Sometimes they are not. We may get angry. We may lose our cool. We may react. But over a period of time now, it seems, uh, listening to all these nice teachings, that remembrance is staying, that stay calm and uh, have a, uh, you know, higher vision. There's a reason behind things. There's God's hand and things like that. So uh, the qualities which you mentioned, many of them uh, we read uh, as Vaishnava etiquette, Vaishnava qualities too. And I feel having uh, deep relationships, good, great loving friendships with Vaishnavas helps us also in cultivating uh, these kind of attitudes or qualities. Thank you. Very nice. Yes. And uh, a devotee wrote me a direct message saying, Perhaps expertly living in the material world means I don't aspire to acquire beyond the minimal necessities I need to serve Krishna. Another thing would be expertly discerning reality and illusion. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's wants and there's needs and, uh, making a distinction between those can be uh, helpful. <laughs> My experience is the things that are wants, usually once I get them, it's like, Oh, that wasn't so great. <laughs> or you want the next, the next better one. Yeah, right, right, right. Which, which I'm reminded of right now. You know, I'm in Monterey here, and they have this uh, annual um, car show. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's like apparently the like the car show of car shows, and they auction off cars downtown and. Like some car went for twenty million on Friday, but it's crazy. Like this, the show of wealth here um, right now. It's like every other car driving around is is a Ferrari like car, and I'm sure they're all there. Just well, all of us, you know, to some extent, <laughs> wishing that they had the twenty million dollar one. You know, yeah, right. it just got auctioned up. <laughs> yeah. Henry, have you ever been to that car show? I love that car show. You know, I've got some friends there right now, and they're uh, texting me with pictures of the cars and telling me about them. And, uh, of course, we all want the cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting. I'm pretty satisfied with my 2005 Prius. <laughs> I have a 2010 Prius. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I'm, 
they are great cars, but you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I drive around and see those Teslas and <laughs> don't have a tinge of, you know, yeah. desire or whatever. Oh, that's fair enough. Fair but there, there is something magical about having a car that's old enough that you kind of don't care about it anymore. I don't know if that makes any sense, but makes like, total sense. And then I look at my insurance bill and. You know, it's it's rather satisfying. No, it, it, it makes sense, and especially if somebody does key your car, or or you get a fender bender or something like that. You, you know, exactly. it's almost like they hit me. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> could you feel it? Uh, you feel it, yeah, yeah. So that maybe that's part of being expert in the world is to just not get too caught up in things. In other words, nothing wrong with having a new car or this or that. That's not the point. The point is the consciousness. Yeah. The the thing I really struggle with though is is I'm a super visual person. So, you know, I'm really affected by pleasing visual stuff, whether it's art or whatnot. So like the interior of our house, you know, Kenari is always telling me, like, why can't you be like a normal guy and not care about this stuff? And we would have to, you know, argue about how like various decorative things were put in it. But it's certainly like a a bad addiction of mine, you know. Well, it, it, very, it, it, very right-brained in that in that sense, I guess. You know, it it depends. Uh, I was just looking for this quote. Uh, where was it? Uh, if I can find it real quickly. I I think it's a good addiction to have a nice home. Yeah. I mean, well, it should be things should be sattvic at least. Sattvic means. In the mode of goodness. Oh, uh, beauty can be healing. That's the quote I just, you know. Oh, there's there's no question that it, it, it relaxes me. I mean, I've had this painting for about 10 years that I bought and paid a lot of money for it, you know. And But I can tell you, like, there's not a – when I'm around it, it, you wake up and you see it. it. It's this Chinese artist who grew up in Australia and, you know, he's pretty well known, but – um you know, it's 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 inspiring. I guess is the right word. It, so. Yes, and um, Henry has a collection of from the artist B, B. J. Sharma, B. G. Sharma, mm-hmm. um, who uh, Rajasthani, right? He's from Rajasthan. Uh, uh, he's no longer, um, and some of the most beautiful um, paintings of Krishna. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, matter of fact, the whole temple in Dallas is uh, mm-hmm. surrounded with paintings written, uh, written painted by this artist. Mm-hmm. And Henry actually had a show uh, at a famous gallery in Dallas of his paintings. And it was oh, such a beautiful, uh, yeah. And if you look behind him on over his uh, right shoulder is a painting uh, about uh, that a, a well-known artist did of his life, <laughs> Henry's life, actually, <laughs> into his house. Mm-hmm. And includes uh, Madame Moha, the temple of you know his, his interest in Krishna consciousness. So well, yes, um, go ahead. What? I'm sorry. Go ahead. But beauty is is um, I mean Krishna's beautiful, and, and Krishna consciousness. You know the the way the deities are taken care of. With, you know new fresh garlands every single day, and and new outfits and. Um, and artistry of different kinds, music also like this week at the temple, just in a few, in 
34 minutes from now. Uh, Gauravani Prabhu is leading a kirtan, and him and his whole family are doing a whole presentation about dance. So dance mm-hmm. is another kind of art, is a, kind of a visual art as well, right? Very visual. Um, and, and uh, yeah, so these things are very much there in, in the, in, in our tradition. So, uh, and you also, I know you'd rather be with your family, but you're in a very beautiful part of the country. Yeah, it's a good place to be. We should all be stranded in Monterey, California, for sure. Right, right. Um, but if I can add one last thing, uh, I know this, I don't know how applicable this may seem, but um, I've been watching when I had, at times this uh, series, it's called, um, oh shoot, Magical Egypt. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, no. it, it's sort of... Um, posits this theory that uh, using evidence from artifacts and stuff that the Egypt that we think of, that some of the stuff that's we found is actually much, much older than even what we consider ancient Egypt. And there are a number of, um, you know, uh, reasons for that in the art and whatnot. But anyway, these people were at the very least, way, you know, way more spiritual. It seems to have been far more infused in, in, their day like tv no they didn't like the, what we do for tv probably with them was involved in some form of spirituality but anyway um just this obsessiveness with the art that they created and the temples that they created which apparently mm. were fused with the gold golden ratios and all this sort of mathematics and things like that so i don't know maybe you know, it appears that they felt like somehow it, it helped, it helped them. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Have you, I guess you've never been to Angkor Wat yet in Cambodia? No, I, I, I would, yeah, so that's, it looks uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, incredible, uh, whole city, <laughs> temple, city. Yeah. So well, and the pyramids, the more you learn about them, I mean, just, they're way more incredible. Once you learn about the details, the, the, the precision with which they align them to north and all these things. I mean, it yeah. was almost fanatical, you know. Yeah, there was a time when uh, art, music, construction, things were all kind of centered on the divine mm-hmm. in one, tradi- one way or another. Yes. Okay, so that is what we have time for this week. So, Krishna willing, we will see you all uh, in uh, what I always say, 23 hour, 23, six days and 22 and a half hours from now.